as we continue worshiping, receive these words from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the second chapter, beginning in the first verse. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in its lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I came to you in weakness and in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Yet among the mature, we do speak wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to perish. But we speak God's wisdom, secret and hidden, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depth of God. For what human being knows what is truly human except the human spirit that is within? So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit that is from God so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. Please remain risen and receive these words from the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning in the 13th verse. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father 
in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Will you pray with me? Oh God, hide me behind your cross. Let me decrease so that you might increase. May my offering today honor and glorify you, for you, O oh God, are the God of glory and hope. You are the one who meets us in all our places of weariness and despair, who leads us into new life. Take us there today by your grace and mercy, and in the power of Jesus' name, amen. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why is Paul so focused on Christ crucified? Why not proclaim Christ resurrected? It seems to me the resurrection angle would have had a better chance of going viral. I mean, if you're going to try to start a new church, why in the world would you make your logo the instrument of torture that killed the one you're trying to convince people to follow? Why include a trigger word in your tagline? Crucifixion, crucified, really? Some market testing might have been useful. Need some... Washingtonians to organize some focus groups. <laughs> and Paul, for all his faults and hang-ups, was, in fact, a highly educated, very smart guy. He knew lots of things. He knew the religious law backwards and forwards because he was a Pharisee. He was one of those ones that Jesus might have been referencing in his Sermon on the Mount that we heard some words from today. All of that is to say, Paul could have come into the highly educated city of Corinth showing off his capacity to speak eloquently, to reason and to debate, and to impress the powerful with his own power. But instead, he proclaims, I decided to know nothing among you except 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. This proclamation has always been a hard sell. We've heard over these last weeks that Paul writes that the cross is a stumbling block. It's foolishness to worldly ways of thinking. And this has not changed over the centuries. Imagine in your mind's eye what it looks like in, a, in most Christian sanctuaries but on Good Friday and then what it looks like on Easter Sunday. There's a difference. I'll let you in on a little, give you a tip, pro tip. We do not have to set up overflow seating on Good Friday to manage the crowds. Most people are quite, quite happy to leap from the Palm Sunday parade to the Easter fanfare. I mean, I get it. Who doesn't love victory? Why would we choose to wander in or linger in those dark days and experiences in between triumph and triumph? Paul was smart enough to know this, and still, yet still, he says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why is Paul so insistent on this as the center of the proclamation for our life together as followers of Jesus? Well, let's look for a moment at the cross. What do we see there? One writer who shows up in my life each month in my morning devotions says it this way, when I stop at the cross, I see surrender, sacrifice, salvation, humility, Righteousness, faithfulness, grace, forgiveness, love. What would it look like for those things to be at the center of human community? It might look slightly different from what seems to be at the center of much of our human community in these days. I want us to think for just a moment about these things. First, surrender. Not the kind of surrender that is a giving in to the powers of oppression, but rather releasing control, letting go, and letting God guide and strengthen us. Sacrifice. Sacrifice not to become a martyr in a self-promoting way, but to truly share yourself and your power and your resources with and for others, even when it costs you a great deal. Surrender, sacrifice, salvation, not the kind that we might imagine can be achieved for ourselves, but the kind that only happens through the grace and power of God. Humility. 
not the kind that dismisses or denies our worth and strength, but that recognizes the power, the strength, the dignity of every human person and is willing to become small so that others might be magnified. Humility, righteousness, and not self-righteousness, but being in right relationship with God, with others, with the creation. Faithfulness, not blind loyalty, but instead deep trust of God's guidance and care. Grace, not cheap grace that requires nothing of us, but free grace that inspires our devotion and our response. Forgiveness, that that gift that is liberation from bitterness, resentment, guilt, and shame, and that asks for not only words, but changed action. And love, free, unmerited, unearned love. When we stop at the cross, these These are some of what we find there, modeled by Jesus, offered by Jesus. Imagine if these were truly at the center of human community as our guide, our goal, our way. Every single one of those things that we were reflecting on together a moment ago are things directly counter to what Paul calls the spirit of the world or the wisdom of the world. And what I've called in my book, Sacred Resistance, the idols of current cultural religion. Some of those are these. One, happiness is found in having things. Two, get all you can for yourself. Get it all as quickly as you can. Violence is entertaining. Always seek pleasure, avoid boredom. Win at all costs. This is popular religion. These are some of the tenets, I believe, of popular religion, of popular wisdom, and we have to be very careful to not be taken in by their promises. Any of y'all follow uh, Pearls Before Swine? A really old one that I've never forgotten. Makes a good point. Rat is explaining at the beginning that he's trying to come up with a motto to live by. And Pig, sweet little Pig, makes some suggestions. The first being, love your neighbor as yourself. And when Pig asks Rat what he's come up with, Rat's answer is, crush the little people. And then in the final frame, he says, I'm just trying to be realistic. 
In our world, and it seems it's been this way forever, being realistic leads people to put their trust in whatever they think will get them safety and power and comfort and attention or wealth. Being realistic leads us to believe that violence and exploitation are unavoidable. This is just the way the game is played, people say. And the little people, the poor children, marginalized, they're always the ones who suffer as a result. This past week, we've seen some pretty clear clashes between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. We've seen a prominent senator break ranks, led by his faith and conscience, and knowing full well what he would endure as a result of his choice and his stance. We've also heard the leader of this nation, with scores of so-called Christians supporting him, suggest that his wisdom regarding enemies is greater than the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I don't know if you were hearing, I heard it afresh this morning as we were listening to the gospel, about what Jesus, it was that same sermon that we heard from today. Did you hear what Jesus said about not, about following the commandments, the teachings? Our president said that his wisdom regarding enemies is greater than the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And there is much I could say about this blasphemy. I actually did say it, but then I took it out. Because let's just be really clear, this is not about partisan politics, this is about Jesus. This is about our faith. This is about what the gospel says. This is about what the, what the savior of the world teaches us. And I'm not gonna not bring it up. So, what I will say, what I left in, is that Jesus taught us to love our enemies. That's unpopular wisdom. (laughs) But there it is. And Jesus didn't ask us to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. He showed us how to love enemies. He challenged those who opposed the ways of the kingdom, but he didn't do them harm. He got angry at those who did harm to others, but he didn't stir up violence against them. He invited those who hurt and accused him personally into relationship with him and into renewed right relationship with God and with other people. 
And then he grieved when that invitation was rejected. He took the slanders and the body blows of his enemies without retaliating or without losing his agency or his dignity. And from the cross, the crucified, Jesus speaks words of compassion and forgiveness upon those who had cruelly abused, denied, betrayed, abandoned, and killed him. Is this difficult? And the highest of our callings? Absolutely. But this is the one we claim to follow. We proclaim Christ crucified. The way he was crucified. We don't proclaim popular worldly wisdom. And our proclamation of Christ crucified has always been characterized by many as foolish, as weak, as unrealistic, as fake news. There's no power in the cross. That's a lie. He can't be a leader. He let himself be killed. If he was a real leader, he would have gotten them before they got him. That, you see, that, that's the wisdom of the world. That's not who we follow. It's not who we say we follow. For those of us, I'm going to say lucky enough, to have even an inkling of the wisdom of God, we are given grace to be open to receive and maybe in some way to embrace the wisdom of God. Perhaps Paul insisted on keeping Christ crucified at the center of the proclamation because he understood the perpetual human temptation to follow worldly wisdom The idea, for example, that we are in control, that we can earn our salvation, that weakness is unacceptable, that might makes right, that the one with the most toys wins, that cruelty can and should be rationalized as truth-telling, that slander and prideful retaliation are really what is strong. Perhaps Paul understood that if we focus primarily on resurrection and victory, it becomes possible to ignore the crucified people in every age. Think about this with me for a moment. If our focus as Christians is primarily on resurrection victory, that reward that we get for our good lives, then it is a very, very, easy step to get to the self-centered prosperity gospel. If our focus is on resurrection as entry into heaven when we die, 
then it's not much of a leap to the space where all the energy is on saving souls for eternity, but not giving a flip about what happens to bodies and spirits in this life. But if, as Paul insists, we focus on the cross, we cannot help but see the result of human injustice, fear, and depression. We can't deny it. When we stop at the cross, we see that Jesus is not alone there. We cannot help but see what worldly wisdom, what cultural religion does to innocent victims, and not just Jesus. And then we're asked to see, to perceive, to care, and to respond. As one theologian has written, the cross of Jesus is for us not an empty symbol, but a point of entry into the pain of the world. How's that for an invitation to a new church start? But Paul must have been on to something in his proclamation. He must have been led by some measure of God's wisdom because people responded and in droves, they joined up, they received the story of Jesus with hope and their lives were changed. It's true that it didn't take long for those first churches to dissolve into old patterns of competition and division. But the message kept calling them back to the promise and the new way of life extended to them in Jesus. That is the message calling to us today. It is more important than we heed it than ever. It challenges us to see our own temptation to give in to the ways of worldly wisdom. It calls us to follow Jesus in solidarity with the innocent victims of the world's cruelty and injustice and greed. It reminds us that Jesus is with us in all our weakness and suffering and struggle. And the message also reminds us that indeed the story doesn't end at the cross. There is new life, there is victory, there is resurrection on the other side. All of which may be experienced even in this world in ways large and small. We don't have to wait. New life happens when someone's given a place to live or a way to feed and support their family. When people who are living in an affluent community like Ward 2 in DC see Hundreds of people showing up to hear their stories, to understand what they're going through so that we might know how best to be present with and for them in advocacy and friendship in this time. Resurrection happens when through persistent loving care, balance and health is restored to fragile ecosystems or fragile spirits or fragile communities. Victory is sweet when sobriety is supported and sustained, when obstacles are overcome through support and courage and determination, when people who no one expected to do so beats the odds, when someone dies well because they've lived well. 
the kind of victory implied by the unpopular wisdom of God is achieved not by crushing the little people or avoiding, denying, or trying to jump over pain and struggle and death. It's victory that happens by the grace of God who journeys with us through the pains of this world into a life that is more loving, more wise, and more whole. As Pastor Casey has been teaching our children and all of us this last few weeks, wisdom shows up in surprising ways. Paul was determined to help us stay focused and not miss it. When I stop at the cross, I can see the love of God. I can't see competition. I can't see hierarchy. I can't see pride or prejudice, the abuse of authority. I can't see lust for power. I can't see manipulation. I can't see rage or anger or selfish ambition. I can't see unforgiveness. I can't see hate or envy. I can't see stupid fighting or bitterness or jealousy. I can't see empire building. I can't see self-importance. I can't see backstabbing or vanity or arrogance. I see surrender, sacrifice, salvation, humility, righteousness, faithfulness, grace, forgiveness, Love, love, love. When I stop at the cross, I see the love of God. That is what holds our life together. Now and always. And for that I say thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>